Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Good morning, afternoon or evening. It's the Vet Gurus, Brendan, with Mark here, vetgurus.com, to get all the show notes and all our links and the links to our wonderful sponsors. It is the weekend in February the 1st, 2019. February already, Mark. Now, I know here in Melbourne, Australia, Mark, it was the end of the tennis this week, the Australian Open, and um, as you know, we like our tennis in our family and the girls um, still very keen on tennis and Sophie went this year to one of the one of the days. So did you watch the finals, Mark, of the of the women's and the men's final last week? I, I did. I watched a fair bit of the tennis at your prompting and um and uh, and and I made a few observations. I'd I'd appreciate your critical appraisal. Um my first one was that for the large part the women were better than the men to watch. The women were awesome. Um, and then the final of the women's was um, was excellent. But then the commentary at the end and the questions that were asked of the uh, the victor were just, um, well, to be honest, a bit pathetic. And then the men's final. <laughs> oh, Brendan, it's it. They were so. It was it was the the. Epitome of ambivalence. I felt every mixed emotion that you possibly could feel, like let down, excited. Um, uh, uh, Djokovic could go on to do the, um, what are they calling it now, the Joker Grand Slam. Um, yes. Well, he has three of the current um, hold of three of the Grand Slam titles at the moment. Um, yeah. I have to say he's likely to do it. Yes, well, Raph will, will try and um, stop that at the um, certainly stop it at the um, on the clay at the um, French Open there, where he's won what a bajillion of them. Yes, um, so yeah, the men's final it was um, yeah a little bit disappointed, but not unexpected. I thought that might happen, Mark, that Djokovic would um, win fairly convincingly, and I think it was more than convincing um, with the. Such a low number of unforced errors and um, won so easily. So many love game matches games on his um, serve. Um, when poor old um, poor old Rafa really really struggled. Yeah, so it was certainly a little bit quicker than the last time they met or the the, the classic final they had. Um, I think it was two thousand and eleven, Mark, where they they soldiered on for just under six hours. Um, and I think it's one of the the best finals of all time at any any um, tennis tournament, let alone Grand Slam. Um, just under six hours for a match, a five-hour one, and Djokovic um, won that one as well. In fact, he hasn't lost an Australian final where he's got to the final. So yeah, that was yeah, it was quite amazing watching him, especially considering well, both of them had major health issues. He. Djokovic had the surgery on his elbow virtually the identical time last year and has come back um, super strong. And um, Rafa wasn't um, playing until, um, what, September, October um, late last year because he had um, niggling injuries as well. Um, So I think they were both amazed that they got as far as they did. But, yeah, it was disappointing that um, it was such a 
bit of a whitewash there. Um, yeah, and I yeah. must agree with you. Yeah, sorry. Yep. I was just going to say, you know, the one good thing for me that came out of such a dominant display was the dignity of Rafa's post-match, uh, you know, um, speech. He, he um, you can see um, a person that appreciates where they are and looks forward to the challenge um, and um, paid due respect to the victor on the night. It, it's um, what sport's all about, Brendan. Yes, well... I have to agree. <laughs> Over the years, I've become more and more attached to old Rafa because, yeah, on the court, he looks he looks um, very dominant um, when he is dominating, and um, he looks pretty mean. And he has his his muscle singlet on, doesn't he, um, with those big biceps? And he does the Rafa stare. And I'd like to hate to be on the end of that, but I think underneath all of that, he's a He's a um, bit of a pussycat there. Um, so, yeah, and he was very, very humble about his um, approach to all. And that's good to see. And and that leads us to um, speaking tennis talk and our, our sports wrap-up, Mark, before we get into our vet podcast. Um, the women's final, yes, and uh, I must totally agree with you there and that I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the the drama and the um, build-up to the women's final and, and the 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 humility of Naomi Osaka, um, who was the, the winner um, from Japan, um, was was amazing. It was just lovely to watch somebody um, have a have a speech that she struggled with because I think she's fairly shy, um, but but very humble and and, and um, a, a deserving winner. And um, even more bittersweet, Mark, when you look back at what happened with her, she won the US Open, and that was um, when Serena Williams did one of her um, dummy spits with the umpire and, and most of the talk was about that even during the speeches at the um, US Open and poor Naomi was in tears after that and um, um, most of the focus was on um, the the loser um, of the match rather than the winner of that so it was good to see that she she won this one and now she's jumped to number one and um, another good news story with Petra Kvitova who, who was the runner-up too with um, what had happened to her um, what just over a year or two ago when she had a home invasion and was stabbed in the arm and thought she'd never play tennis again and there she is uh, now number two in the world so yeah it was a and Ash. lots of drama don't, Mark don't forget what? Ash Barty yes the uh, uh, the Barty party um, uh, Ash Barty um, who um, the Australian who who did very well as well, and um, yeah. Also, they another thing that um, they they showed live, Mark, and I I watched a few of the matches was the wheelchair um, tennis as well, the doubles and the singles, and um, quite a fascinating um, 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 tactical battle, um, the wheelchair tennis, and um, the Australian um, men's final was an Australian um, who I think he won his what fifth Australian Open, so. Um, you know, he's very dominant in his his category as well. So yeah, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the tennis this year, Mark. So, but as I said last um, at a previous episode of um, the podcast, we we know it's the tennis in Australia um, when we have the heat waves here in Melbourne because there's always some really hot days um, when the tennis is on in January. Here we have some over forty degree days, and and this year didn't disappoint with that. We had some. At least one of the days where they had to invoke the the heat rule, where they stopped the play, even with the roof shut. Um, so yeah, um, 
that's the tennis news, and that's probably the end of the podcast, <laughs> isn't it, Mark? Well, we should jump into um, we should jump into some news, Mark, and I'm going to take one of the um, ones that really tickled my fancy, um, and that's the big moose, uh, the moose fight, or um, and this is a. Uh, a bit of a battle between, um, well, they call it the big elk, don't they, that's um, been erected in Norway. Um, they've produced this amazing-looking um, silver elk um, that is on a busy um, highway um, in Norway, and um, they proudly announce that it is the biggest elk or moose in the world, and um, this has upset the people that had the previously biggest moose set statue in the world and that's in Canada Mark and you were mentioning off air that um, your dear wife Kate has actually been to this place in Canada where this um, other moose is um, and has she seen the big moose in in, in Canada I Mark? She has had the experience of observing the big moose. Um, she... It's Mac the moose, Mac the moose. Um, and listen, I, I, I just flicking between photos of Mac the moose and um, and the Norwegian um, elk. Crikey's the Norwegian one! Just I would have an accident if I drove past that. Um, it just draws your eye completely off everything around it. It looks like the silver surfer of giant mooses. Yes, it is. Actually, Mark, you've just. Uh... You've just dropped out completely, so Hang keep um, Can you talking. Get... Oh, there you are. No, I've got you there. Yeah, we're going to leave that in, yes. So, yes, the silver moose looks fantastic, and, um, yeah, I, I agree totally. So so they started a fundraising campaign a, um, on the internet um, because the moose jaws fired up mayor, Fraser Tolmy, has proclaimed that no, the Norwegians purposely built their moose bigger than ours, but we're going to be dignified um we're going to win um so they're trying to raise some money um and they've got a crowdfunding goal mark to try and get fifty thousand canadian dollars i i presume to extend max antlers um so he will be taller or bigger (laughs) than the silver um elk so yeah the fight is on bigger is better um so i'm not surprised um i wouldn't be surprised if they had something similar in the u.s and um Old um, old Trump gets up and decides um, when our, ours is bigger and better than yours, um, and he jumps in the fight as well. But um, the reason why I like this as well, Mark, is that um, as you know, here in um, here in Australia, we, we love our our big statues, don't we? We have the big banana, we have the big apple, we have the big pineapple. Most of these are up in Queensland, the state of Queensland in northern Australia. Um, these these very Tacky, as I might say, tourist attractions yeah, that um, that we've we have a well we have a big um, koala down here in uh, Victoria Mark on on, on Phillip Island. Um, I don't know whether you've seen that one, but um, yeah, um, those it was it was a. Uh, was I remember when I was a, a young a young teenager and my parents used to take us on holiday up the coast, Mark, up towards your neck of the woods and further, and and we always used to see the. The big, the big statues, and um, you take the obligatory photos sitting next to the big pineapple or the big wombat or the big, big whatever. So yeah, so I quite like this story, but yeah, I must agree totally with you, Mark, that Norway's um, Norway's big elk 
is I'm a beautiful thing. For an international moose off. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, what's your first news story, Mark? My first news story, Brendan, is um, I, um, I'm probably a little bit, um, I don't know, lower key, a little bit lower key. <laughs> um, but um, I'm always on the lookout for um, the complexity of nature and also the the um, the way that natural things turn up where maybe we don't necessarily necessarily expect them. And this article about. Uh, Researchers from the University of Texas um, looking in the um, Edwards Trinity Aquifier System, which is a series of uh, a network of caves deep beneath the surface of central west Texas. Um, this system is the most species-rich groundwater system in the world with dozens of endemic species. Um, some of these have been there for... Um, well, since the dinosaurs, Brendan. Um, and uh, there's been three new species of salamander found in this aquifer. Um, and um, and it sort of makes sense that maybe these species in such a, a fundamental location, um, uh, and they're not... I've made a mistake there. They're not subterranean at all. The aquifer um, is separate from other water sources. Um, but it's a... Um, an, a Unique thing in that these foundation species, if you like, these species that occupy um, long-standing aquifers, then probably provide a, a seed, if you like, for um, evolution. They're probably um, they're they're um, you know um, provided genetic material that allow has allowed species to expand from those locations and inhabit other places. Unfortunately, Brendan, as is so often the case when we talk about. Uh, these sorts of discoveries, the species uh, identified come from um, tiny portions of river systems, um, and um, and the three of them are all likely to be critically endangered um, as habitat uh, destruction continues apace. Um, so um, we found them, we love them, and they'll soon be gone. Yes. Story of um, a lot of the new uh, the species that have been discovered recently over the over the last um, well <laughs> million years, I suppose. <laughs> They're not going to be around very much longer. Yeah, it's um, yes, um, it must be hard, isn't it? If you're that researcher or the person who discovers this um, new species, and then you realise, hey, they're not going to be around anymore. Um, yeah, um, very very depressing, Mark. Thank you very much um, for that story. I'm going to, um, well, give you another depressing story as, as my second news story, and that's the the ongoing saga of the supposed mini pigs and the heartbreaking truth behind mini pigs. Is the is the title of this story from from the Mother Nature Network, Mark? And it's well, it's a story we all we, we certainly know about. Um, that's that won't go away, and it's a, a story about a, a pig retreat um, or a pig rescue centre in the US um, that is trying to care for all these cast-off pigs and just summarises the, the usual story about people who are purchasing, the, purchasing these supposed mini pig, pigs, which is there's really not no such thing as a mini pig, is there, Mark? Um, and um, there's still thousands of them or, or tens of thousands of them that are still sold 
as potentially mini pigs in in the US and Canada especially and um, then they grow up to be big pigs um, and some of these end up growing to what up to two to four hundred pounds mark and um, then they obviously can't be kept um, once you've got a big a boisterous pig that big in your um, living room or your backyard so they end up at these these places like these shelters so yeah they they need to legislate, don't they, Mark? Um, about um, they need a, a broad legislation to stop this happening and maybe stop them being uh, being sold as pets. Um, I, I think it's the only way. Have you have you seen any down there? Oh, rarely, Mark. I, I can't remember the last supposed um, pet pig or mini pig, let, pet pig, let alone mini pig that I saw probably a, a year or two ago. Um, have done the odd desexing um, of of one, um, but gee, it's it's few and far between do you see a few yeah we've got um i think we've got um maybe four or five clients who have you know they're, they're much bigger than they're, they're 220 250 kilogram animals now um that were was sold to them as miniature pigs tea so-called tea yes pigs. um so yeah, it is a bit of a uh sore point one of my um get on the soapbox and scream it from the highest hills the um other thing is that there are not only um you know difficulties once the pigs get big um but uh but there are also a whole bunch of um uh health issues the the uh, potential for the spread of disease both human and animal there's quite strict rules about uh uh, how and where pigs can be kept, and uh, particularly in the urban environment, and what they can be fed. So, I, it's one of those. I love them; they're beautiful animals, and we love to help look after them. And we're lucky that our clients that do have them now have facility to have them in, you know, paddocks. Um, but, um, but I actively discourage people from having them as pets. Um, beautiful animals as they are, they're not suitable for companions. Yes. And as, as we know, Mark, they are very intelligent animals and I think part of the problem that then happens with people who acquire them and don't realise the fact um, that, one, they may get big and also, two, that they are quite smart animals, that they get bored and they get destructive as well because of that, um, because they're not being looked after and they're... There's no environmental enrichment at all for some of them, um, so it's a, a disaster. So they end up at places like this rescue pig um, rescue place that um, this article talks about that I'll link, it, link to at vetgurus.com, Mark. So that's my, my last news story. So another bit of a depressing one. So bring up the tone, Mark, and, and make us laugh, laugh and, and give me a nice, um, a nice story for your last news story. Fortunately, my last news story has a tinge of sadness and a little bit of humour. So hopefully it'll be enough to raise your spirits, Brendan. Um, this story, um, once again from the Mother Nature Network, is how a cartoon raccoon started a biological invasion in Japan. So when people see, uh, particularly dogs on TV, there's no doubt that um, it triggers a, um, a, a dramatic increase in the popularity of those uh, breeds. It's often referred to as the... Um, the 101 Dalmatians effect. Um, and, uh, of course, in the, um, in the 1940s, um, Lassie was all over um, television and uh, there was a 40% increase in the registration of 
collies as a consequence. In the 50s, old English sheepdogs rose because of Disney's hit The Shaggy Dog. Of course, uh, subsequent movies such as 101 Dalmatians, uh, Beethoven, Babe, uh, Legally Blonde, Days of All, where even Game of Thrones is responsible for a jump in the, um, the popularity of the husky. So I suppose it's no surprise that when there was a an anime cartoon series in Japan, Rascal the Raccoon, um, uh, the, the, uh, there was a sudden bump in the number of people who were interested because the story is about um, a young boy um, who uh, acquires an impish raccoon friend, and uh, um, and um, you know they have various adventures. Um, soon, Japanese families were importing about fifteen hundred pet raccoons from North America each month um, from the mid sixties, uh, from the mid seventies um, until just well, how long ago was it that they stopped? It was. Uh, I think in the 90s they decided this might not be a good idea anymore. But unfortunately, most of the people who watched the show didn't watch the whole show because at the end, um, the hero, the young boy, realises that, um, unsurprisingly, wild animals may be fun, but they don't make great long-term pets. And many of the people who came to the same conclusion with their US imported pet released them. Um, and so now um, those uh, feral raccoons have uh, really, um, you know, taken a, they've established a, a significant foothold. And now they're actually getting to the point where, you know, foraging through human garbage and hunting carp and goldfish in decorative ponds and even to the point where they're um, damaging um, crops uh, and, um, you know, all the usual things that we see with an introduced feral pest. So... I think it's a salutary story, Brendan, that um, uh, animals in movies um, are not meant to um, entice us to like them, to keep them. We're just meant to watch them in the movie. Yes, and Mark, it's a good segue to our main topic, the power of social media and the power of the internet and the power of movies and the power of well, the power of all the things that we watch and look at and read every day because our main topic which you suggested, Mark, which is a great one that you have suggested before, and we finally got around to talking about it, is social media aspects um, relating to the veterinary profession. And um, I think what we we try to do this episode, Mark, depending on how whether we go down any rabbit holes here, Mark, is, is talk a little bit about um, websites for, for practices and our experiences with with setting up websites and, and dealing with the social media, media aspects of promoting veterinary biz, businesses and um, uh, ratings and reviews and the pros and cons of those um, ratings and reviews and how to deal with um, the poor reviews, I suppose, and how to celebrate the good ones and, and, and promote those. And, um, yeah, and, and um, what sort of posts you should put on, on Facebook and other social media sites. So there's, there's lots to talk about, isn't there, Mark? There's lots to, to get stuck into. So, so where do you want to start? Well, I was going to start with, um, well, first of all, a congratulations, because I think you um, and your team at Warrenwood, you guys run an excellent um, social media program, um, and um, and I think that was 
the reason I was trying to suggest this was because I think there's a lot of um, myth about this topic out there. It's new, it's exciting, um, it's uh, um, a little bit addictive. Um, I notice you spend an awful lot of time on social media, Brendan, um, and um, and I think that uh, that as a consequence, it's good for us to discuss our personal experiences. And um, I like the idea that um, we emphasise that you know we're not uh, we're not um, saying this is um, these are some carved in stone rules about social media. Um, these are just uh, personal observations and. Um, and uh, maybe some little tips about how to handle some of those more difficult situations um, that have worked for me and maybe for you, Brendan. So, yes, the first thing I was going to say after the that introduction was that um, the online we, we um, our uh, uh, practice now calls it our online ecosystem. Um, that's you know our website, our various social media accounts, our work with. Um, uh, Google Ads search engine optimization and our online review management, all those things sort of twist and tangle in together. Um, and in the way that you and I both love wild ecosystems, there's some things I think that are the same. So we call it our online ecosystem. And one of the key things about it is that it's not the same. What's there now is not the same as what was there, you know, 12 months ago two years ago, five years ago. It is constantly evolving. And a good example is the website. There once was a time when um, the website was like, I don't know, our website, we treat it like a bit of a portal um, and we try and put, you know, everything, every bit of uh, um, information known to man about the topics that we were dealing with at work onto the website so people could get access and, and we could draw people to our website. Um, we've sort of evolved from that to much more of what I think of as a, um, you know, as an online business card. We try and um, uh, keep the information there um, maybe a little more Spartan than we once, uh, than we once did um, and, um, and probably the more volatile and and rapidly changing aspects of our online ecosystem are those things on social media. We do think that the website, one of the things that we find works to make a huge difference to our website, um, uh, particularly in, in the search engine optimization that we don't have to pay for, um, our blogs, making sure that we um, we definitely notice a difference if there goes a period of time where we don't regularly write blogs, um, then our ranking, our native ranking, um, drops um, significantly. Um, so making sure those blogs attached to your website are regularly written up, that they're um, original and novel and pertinent to the people that want to come to you, that makes a big difference to that whole SEO thing. And I know you've recently completely overhauled your website. What a probably might have been a year ago now, Mark. But um, um, it's something that we need to desperately do because our, my website or our the Warrenwood Veterinary Centre website um, it, it's it's a little bit arty, isn't it, Howard? And it's not it quite. It's it's not quite as um not quite as um. Uh, 
up to date is I, I think it should be in a bit more practical orientated. Um, so there is there is a plan to completely overhaul it, and um, I did start um, previewing some new pages and, and 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 playing with a few ideas. So eventually we will be changing that. So yes, it is something that. I must admit we haven't done and, and we need to listen to what you were saying then we and, and your initial comment saying I'm very active on social media and I was a bit tongue in cheek because I I try my best not to not to be that active and and try and um I'm trying desperately to delete my um Facebook presence um um, I, um because I my um my thoughts about Facebook are that yeah it isn't the most socially conscious um organization and um we might get into one of my little rabbit holes here with um, my thoughts on um um internet businesses and that but i might leave that for another an, another chat about um i want to talk about um um well, i think it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a good point because, <laughs> um, most of the people that i know who uh you know who advise about um social media um they say they are a great place for your business um, and it's great for everyone else to have their own personal Facebook page, but they're actually, for multiple reasons, a horrible place to, um, you know, to be online and post all your stuff. So I, I think your philosophy is, um, is, is uh, not, not without some considerable following. And I don't know that um, Facebook as an organisation is doing anything significant to allay those fears. But I think the take-home message out of all that um, philosophy is that I think for in a practical business sense, you, you st- a veterinary practice still has to have, the majority of your clients will have a Facebook presence and they will be looking for a practice that has a Facebook presence. So I'm sorry. Absolutely. You're going to yes. get going. Absolutely, and um, yeah, they'll be finding you. The old days of just listing your practice, what in the in the yellow pages here in Australia, um, was was in print. Um, you'd spend lots of money, and you'd be listed listed in the phone book, wouldn't you, Mark? The white pages, um, it was called, wasn't it? All the yellow pages, um, and you'd be listed there, and and you'd spend all your money once a year to have a little list in in print, and that phone book of businesses would be delivered to every virtually every household in Australia and you'd hope once it gets delivered once a year that they haven't made a mistake um, with the printing because um, if there's a mistake there then you're, you're stuffed for a whole year especially if it was something like your phone number that was wrong so those days are long gone and now it's all online and yes um, it's your it's 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 it's, your, it's also your rankings a bit like um, you know TripAdvisor and um, the the um, restaurant reviews um, it's the review in and the review sites as well including Google Google business and, and Facebook um, that the people for good or worse do look at and they look at those scores and we'll talk a little bit about the scores and the the meaning or, or lack of meaning with with those rankings mark um, as we as we get through this subject and it might end up being a two-part of this one I think um, yeah, so uh, yeah, we we do need that present um, for good or bad, and as you know, I have a bit of a interest or a background with with IT and and worked half time, if not full time, for a period of time. So um, I have a bit of a ambivalent attitude to it. I still um, have a big interest in in um, 
in the machinations of, of IT and, and how it all works. Um, but because I've got a slightly deeper understanding, I suppose, of of the average person, it also makes me a bit depressed about what sort of things are put in there and, and the way they're manipulated, um, sometimes not in the, the correct way. Um, and it can be hard to reverse that, yeah. So, so yes, you do need a website. Um, and so a, what and if, social media presence. And where I was going from there, and um, this is going to run counter to your basic tenant, um, is that I think it's really important to, to work over several different social media platforms. So I do think you need a Facebook presence. I also think um, the statistics would suggest that... Uh, that there's a bit of a shift at the moment that the people who are new pet owners, so, you know, young couples moving into their first first home, um, they're less likely to be on Facebook and much more likely to be on Instagram. And, and I think um, most progressive veterinary practices would have presence on both those uh, um, uh, platforms. Um, we have a um, Twitter account at... Um, at Sugarloaf, but to be honest, um, it really is not. Twitter is um, uh, um, maybe not the best marketing platform. Good for other sorts of um, information dispersal, um, and I love science, um, uh, you know, science communication, SciComm on Twitter. But um, but really, for our veterinary practice, I don't see Twitter as a, a major um, platform. But I think it is wise to link those platforms up so you don't have to, like, double do it, you know, set it up so that you do a post and it's spread to both those platforms. I think I think part of the trick is, Mark, that we need to constantly re-evaluate which social media platforms are active and which ones are, are going to fade away um, into the background because over time things change as as we know and, and you know personally I think some of these some of these platforms will not be around in a few years and I think one of them that 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 is probably or is struggling in my opinion at the moment is Twitter um, and I think that will well, may disappear and um, it will be interesting to see what happens with Facebook in the future there may be a Another another startup that um, corners that market in in a different and and perhaps better way than Facebook does, um, regardless of the amount of money Facebook makes and the presence it has. Um, you know, you never know; they may not be around um, in the future. But I think that the important thing there is, yeah, we uh, for better or worse, we need to move with the times and. Um, keep on top of what people are using and, and and where people are searching for your business and that's the bottom line it's you know what what's the whole aim of of having a social media presence it is getting information out there to your existing clients keeping those existing clients but even more crucially um, getting those new clients and 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 when people are searching for you know the best exotics vet in Newcastle, in 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 New South Wales. That that Mark Simpson pops up um, when they do that search, regardless of what platform they're looking at. And if that occurs, then job done as far as Sugarloaf Animal Hospital goes. And um, 
I think that's where you need to sort of focus on is 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 um, those two aspects, Mark. Keep well, I suppose it's three parts. It's keeping the new clients and it, and it's attracting the new ones. And and my third third part of that trilogy is it, it's it's providing information, which helps with the first two. So it's it's giving away information or providing useful information and tidbits to clients. Um, or potential clients via the social media, and and then they look at it and say, "Hey, that's that's interesting, or that's fun, or that's um that's a that's a good laugh, or or that's a quirky case that was seen at this vet clinic. Hey, maybe I should take my pet to that to that vet clinic." And I think that you've hit the nail on the head as usual. It's a matter of um, focusing on those objectives, making sure that you do bond the clients that you have that you're aware of. Um, the ones that you've got, there will be on any social media account um, a whole bunch of lurkers. For example, I lurk on your practice's social media account and you should not um, you know, pay any attention to my presence. That is not the objective of the business. And there is a whole bunch of people from all around the world who will just be observing various Facebook accounts to get ideas probably. Um, and But you, what you want to do, as you said, is focus on uh, make it local, make it um, pertinent and relevant, make it um, uh, with an objective, make it purposefully bonding the clients, making them aware of the services you provide um, or uh, attracting new clients by um, demonstrating those points of difference between uh, your practice and other practices. Um, so the way, there are some tricks to doing that, Brendan. There are some um, like important preparatory steps, I suppose. Um, I think that when you do, you've got to post regularly. You've got to have, um, it's a little bit like our podcast, I think, that um, you can do an excellent uh, podcast, much better than yours and mine, and do it once, and you will not build any following, whereas you and I have done a bog-standard ordinary podcast but made sure we've got it out there each week and um, and we're gradually building up like a, uh, um, a, well, much more than I expected number of people who listen to us. So I think that principle applies to um, social media as well, that if you are regular with the posts, um, then that definitely causes those posts to pop up in people's timelines and um, and gradually builds that tidal wave. And I don't think one person can do that in a practice. You've got to, um, uh, and this is a little bit of a thing for us at Sugarloaf. There once was a time when we had rules about um, what people could do with their mobile phones at work. We were, I don't know, some people would have told us that we were a bit Nazi about people using their mobile phones at work. We literally banned them. We thought that all that personal stuff, we're paying you an hourly rate to, you know, run help run our business. Um, we're not having you get on your bloody phone and talk about stuff. Um, but what, uh, to be honest, what I've learned is that um, our staff are actually pretty damn good at uh, respecting the the uh, workplace contract, if you like, um, and they do use their phone for personal matters, but, geez, not that much, and generally for things that are pretty significant. They understand that um, that they have to be present to do their job, and they want to do their job well, and so they don't let the phone distract them. But if they have their phone on them, they're very, very good at catching moments at work, um, and uh, if the whole team is doing that stuff. It presents a huge amount of content that can be 
posted to your social media site. So that's my first tip. Let the staff use their phones. And my first tip is very, it follows on from that directly, Mark, and that's take pictures and take video. Um, because once it's gone, um, you've missed it. And it's amazing how every, every week we have cases that we think, gee, it would have been good to take a pic of that one. It would have been nice if we had it taken. And often it's what we would might, may think is routine situations yes. there, Mark, isn't it? That, that in hindsight you think, gee, that was a cute little puppy or a lizard or a snake or whatever. Um, and, and it may have just been literally that a routine health check on an animal or that new client that comes in proudly exhibiting their little puppy or their lizard or their, or their rabbit, um, their little bunny that comes in and the, the whole family come in to have the first health check of their animal. And uh, I think... Um, the clients love it um, as a, as a rule, don't they? When you when you post um, little um, little um, Flopsy the rabbit um, has just come in for his first health check, and here he is with with the family portrait um, in the clinic. There, looking everybody looking proud as punch with their with their little um, little um, rabbit, and um, it's amazing how many um, reposts that will get or likes it will get um, because they'll immediately then contact all their family and friends, and um, all the the kids will be um, sending the pic to all their all their mates at school and um, um, quite quite soon you've got a whole lot of passive um, likes and um, visits to your page. Um, so you have all these, um, an increase in audience of, of potential clients um, just from that one cute picture of that rabbit that came in for the vaccination. So It's an interesting so I think, thing, Brendan, that I reckon we sometimes lose the, the um, you know, the... the the um, uh, what's the I'm searching for a phrase like we as a profession we celebrate the human animal bond but in the day to day coal faced um, stress of veterinary practice um, we don't immediately see it when it's right in front of us and I think one of the things we've found that uh, um, you know encouraging the staff to take these photos is that it's really brought that back to us that you're exactly right the things that we see 20 times a day which to us I don't know we can become desensitized to as we worry about you know the the pathology results or you know the the those more worrying veterinary issues um, but making sure we take those photos and uh, even before we've posted them um, that brings a little bit more joy to our lives as well as we celebrate that really um, once-in-a-lifetime experience for many people. I've got one little note of caution that uh, personal experience has uh, drawn to my attention. We just almost like invariably people are happy to have those photographs um, uh, put online um, and so I think it's not a horrible plan to make to do that, but you need to get people's permission uh, to get photos of their animals or them. Um, we did have one horrible experience when we first started doing this where um, where we had, uh, you know, a, a, a family dispute and we had posted an animal online which, um, which made someone aware of something they uh, weren't aware of. And so um, you've just got to make sure there are 
things that people don't want to go on social media and you need to get express. And I often think um, written permission um, for those photos to um, to go online. I can only tell you there's probably been, we would have asked oh, probably four or 5,000 people each year for that permission. And uh, on average, we get two people who decline. So the massive number of people um, who we do get photos of are not unhappy with them being posted online. But when you post a picture that someone doesn't want online, it's a huge headache. Yes. You beat me to it, Mark. I was going to mention about permissions, and I must admit we do not do written permissions, I presume. Um, I'd be interested to um, on your thoughts about you obviously have a, what a formal document um, for that and, and what does it say on it, or is it part of a general welcome to the, to the clinic? Um, by the way, can we post... Um, any pictures? Um, how do you approach it? That's exactly it. We have a um, our hospital admission form includes amongst the many permissions we ask for an anaesthetic or whatever. Um, we specifically ask that any photographs that we take um, that uh, we have their permission to use them for educational purposes or social media posts. Um, so yes, I think uh, a little form and any time that that's done in the consult where it's not associated with an admission um, that text we do uh, ask people just to sign that text so that we know that it's okay to put out there yes good well the other comment i'd make about um those those cases or those case reports that you are posting um be very wary and i'm sure you've been caught with this mark too um be very wary about posting the animals if if they're unwell uh, <laughs> We try and make sure that this is a patient that will be around um, for for a little bit um, to come um, before we um, put the post on there because, yeah, we've unfortunately made the mistake that we post a cute picture there um, or and um, and um, my staff are very good at um, realising now that, hey, we don't post anything that we think may be a patient that's compromised or, 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 is, or is unwell that may not be with us um, for very long, um, even though it may look cute um, because, yeah, that one comes back and bites you on the backside, doesn't it, Mark? So, so yeah, making sure... The other yep. circumstance that they, you're exactly right, and it's important to be aware of these, um, uh, you know, they're not immediately obvious, but the other one is that if you do have a compromised animal, um, we've we've definitely had circumstances where people have said, oh, look, I want you to, you know, post a picture of, um, of bunnies, my, my Fluffy's uh, teeth issue so that other people are aware of it. Um, yes. And then the cavalcade of do-gooders that land on your page to give you a lecture about first of all, the horrible owner who didn't treat their animal properly and then the horrible vet who doesn't know what they're doing. You've just got to be very, very um, explicit and careful about um, about the posts that go on there. Um, and I always say to the staff that we um, try to have, um, you know, uh, we have in the earliest forms of our Facebook posts, we did post some... I don't know what I would think most vets would be interested, the, you know, blood and guts type photographs. People hate those. They uh, get minimal engagement and they generate aversion in the general public. Um, and so uh, while 
they are an interest to us as a profession. Um, they are definitely not something that I would recommend that people put uh, out there on their social media. People are searching Facebook for light-hearted, funny things, cute things, um, and they're the things to whack on there. The educational stuff needs to be couched in the same terms, Brendan. Yes, and I think with those those um, more technical aspects or peer-to-peer sort of postings, that, that they are the ones that we post on our, our closed sites that we have within the profession um, where you'll be asking a question about a case or you'll be posting something saying, look, I did this and um, I, I think it went well and um, what could I have done better with it? So, yeah, I'd leave them to there. So, so I think what we're getting at, Mark, is that it's tell a story, isn't it? That, that's what we want to have. We, we, we want something that... It may be education as well, but it tells a story or it has a little cute or, or a little laugh with it um, and and they're the ones that get the most engagement, you know. I mean, the one that in the last week or so that we've had um, a good response to was one of my nurses that, that um, just sent me a couple of pictures on my phone of she's into all sorts of art and craft and there's a, actually an art and craft shop next door to our vet clinic that... Um, produce all sorts of kits and she purchased a little guinea pig felt um, a felt guinea pig um, kit where you could um, stitch this little felt guinea pig together and um, she um, uh, um, made this cute little guinea pig um, out of felt and um, then she brought it into work and um, took some pictures of, uh, of a mock um, desexing of this little felt guinea pig and posted it um, saying that um, it's recovering well after the surgery. Um, and there's been a couple of follow-up posts saying that, oh, actually, um, it was a little bit too late, the desexing, because it's already had babies um, and um, because she's made a few other little felt guinea pigs. Um, was part of the pack, and and the and we linked to the felt shop next door, and and they've loved it, and it's had fantastic reach, um, you know, just from a simple little post, a, a quirky little fun post. So I but think they're the Brendan, ones that that's, people... that's so well conceived, and it hits the nail on the head about the stuff we were talking about in terms of providing great educational information. Many people that. Um, would go online, wouldn't realise that it was appropriate to, you know, the general public doesn't immediately know it's appropriate to desex guinea pigs. Um, And so just that educational aspect, but doing it in such a way that's not demonstrating, you know, the blood and gore practicality, uh, but turns it into a fun and quirky thing and links to another business. That's sort of like um, the quintessential post. It's no wonder that uh, that one took off a little bit and, um, and, uh, and uh, your staff are to be congratulated for sewing the guinea pig up twice. Yes. Well, the the other part of that post is, Mark, if um, if you want to jump on and have a look at it, I, I made a little comment about um, veterinarians providing free work for wildlife and that um, that um, a little hint to, to the general public that, um, you know, we spend millions of dollars as a profession providing all this free free care and expertise and time um, and yet we don't get anything back for it so it's just a little reminder about um, wildlife care as well even though guinea pig um, as a pet is not wildlife but I, I threw that one in there as well so I think it's a good uh, 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 we've, we've got a chance to 
to do a lot of good things and not just um, provide little um, fun stories but to also um, um, plug a little a message, whether that may be subtle or not, um, to them. But telling a story, Mark, I think that's the most important thing about um, doing posts regardless of which platform you do and, and even including um, you mentioned Instagram, um, which is obviously primarily um, um, photo-based. Um, you want to tell a story. Um, on those sort of posts, um, do you have? Um, do you want to talk about um, a, a post or, or or any posts that you you think of of interest that really stick out that that you've done at your practice, Mark? That have worked or not worked? That have you've learned a lesson or um, or or or, um, or remember not to do that again? Well, there is one that um, I, one class, I suppose, a genre of posts that I thought would be a good one to mention. Um, and uh, and there's some characteristics of it that um, what you've just been talking about feed into, and that's the lost pets um, class of um, of uh, posts. And I, we actively encourage um, our clients um, and the people living around our hospital that may not be clients to post um, uh, lost pets or found pets to our page. Um, we uh, go out of our way to follow up on those because I think that's part of the uh, people um, get involved in, um, you know, the emotion of a lost pet. They every, almost everyone can recognise that sensation um, and they're drawn into that post initially. But if you can complete the story if you've just a little bit of follow-up and making sure that um you know those good ones don't necessarily um uh, uh tell the story of them going to the pound and never being found but obviously the ones that are repatriated they're such a good a feel good um story and they regularly top our um our circulation our the statistics we get for the number of people who interact with the post those lost pet category um, are really important. And so getting good photos, one of the things that helps with that are those photos we talked about before. So if someone comes to us um, about one of their pets that are lost, particularly one of their exotic pets, um, then uh, their photos or the photos that were taken in the clinic um, can often be a, a real bonus in putting up those posts concerning a lost pet. And um, when they are repatriated, um, when they get home, um, there's a lot of emotion. And if we can tell that story with that emotion, um, they are winning posts in my experience, Brendan. Yes. Well, that leads on to dealing with when things go wrong, Mark. So I think we should need to chat about what happens. And you briefly mentioned it when when you end up having the replies to a post of of, of perhaps somebody who's a little bit overzealous or um or maybe worse, they're 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 putting down the the people who you've you've pictured in the post um as as a bad client or they're providing information that's inaccurate or, or totally inappropriate so how do you deal with that mark if 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 um when when you get a, a really good performing post say on facebook for instance and and then you get somebody um posting something you don't want on there well this is this is probably a, um well i think it's been a tip that really has made a difference for me has made me sleep better, Brendan. So um, I present it to everyone as a, um, as a little bit of a, I don't know, 
a, a useful specific thing that can be done, and that is um, the Facebook facility to hide or delete comments on your page. So if you were to go in to that troublesome post um, and look at it, on the upper right part of the nasty person's post, there are three little dots. And if you click on that, those dots, it will lead you to the opportunity um, to hide or delete those comments. Now, initially when I learned about this, I went delete berserk. I was, every person that said anything bad, I was deleting those comments. That actually made things worse, Brendan. Um, those people were offended that I had taken their well-considered arguments and cast them asunder from our website, uh, from our Facebook page. And they got even more, uh, you know, vigorous, shall we say, in their denunciation of our practice. And so the hide button has really been a, the best one for me because um, first, uh, the, what happens when you hide a post is that only the person, only you, the moderator, and the person who posted and their friends can see it. None of the other people on your page can see it. Um, and so they don't, re and, and uh, they're not, while they will realise their post has been deleted, they don't know their post has been hidden. So it markedly decreases the exposure and probably enforces the exposure to the people that you don't want to come to your clinic anyway um, and doesn't generate any... Um, any generally any negative feedback because the people don't know that you've done it and the rest of your Facebook followers are spared the ignominy of having to read such troublesome posts. The hide button is my biggest tip. I sleep much better since I've been exercising the hide button in Facebook, Brendan. Yes, I think probably the biggest mistake you could do is, is start to enter into a, a slanging match don't with somebody. engage. Um, don't engage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and same story with, with uh, it's that lost in translation as part of it as well with, with, um, with, with text and email as well, isn't it, Mark, if we, if we head on to email, um, email rants that might be sent to your clinic as well. It, it's the important thing is to, to, to maybe, if it's an email, for instance, maybe um, provide a polite reply, but um, don't address every single point that they may be saying to you, and just 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 politely but firmly um, tell them where to go and um, leave it at that. Um, yeah, but um, certainly with replies on on Facebook, etc., it's um, once you start that process of replying to a post, then they will take that and run with it, won't they, Mark? It's and, quicksand. Um, it's like. Just but nothing you can say to those people will win them over. There's no amount of logic or experience or wisdom that is going to change their opinion. And the best thing you can do is smile at them and hide their post. That's my advice to you. So do you do a, a little smiley face to back to them, do you? <laughs> and really fire them up fire them up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's yeah so that's dealing with um, um, inappropriate posts or, or, or angry posts and same story with ones where they th then we need to jump on reviews mark and, and and my general comments and I know we've spoken about this many times is that um, 
the the clinics review or the Google review or, or whatever Google Google Business review um, for your practice. Um, take it with a grain of salt because I, I don't think it means means that much. And um, you know you can hire professional organisations where you pay people to to increase your Google review or, or any other sort of review, Facebook posts, etc. And um, it just shows you how they can be manipulated there. So. So um, I think I'm getting better at it, Mark. I know you, you, you're trying to train me, but I'm getting better at trying to ignore um, um, the overall overall um, aspect of this and, and sleep better at night. But um, I think it's the same story with, with these bad reviews. And it's like bad restaurant reviews or bad reviews of a, of a hotel that you go to or, or a good review. I, I think you'll, you tend to get extremes, don't you? You'll get this glowing review of your practice um and and that person thinks that the the sun shines out of everybody in the clinic um and you'll get the opposite of uh, as well where you have somebody who have for better or worse have had a bad experience at your clinic um and it must you know the 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 planets and and the worlds have aligned um incorrectly and um no matter what was going to happen things were going to go wrong with that visit for that for that person and that patient and and no matter what you can do it 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 was a bad experience for that person there was no doubt and and um um you know things happen don't they mark and um bad things happen sometimes and no matter how how well you try and um prepare for that and, and avoid it um, you will have the bad um, experience with somebody and like you do when you go and buy a coffee somewhere mark and you get a bad coffee um, it happens um, and if it happens consistently then you start thinking well I'm not going to have a coffee at this place anymore but um, you know you need to you need to realize that sometimes things go wrong um, and unfortunately so, uh, with the internet age and, and people will have a bad experience at a clinic and then they will or do it an incredibly bad review. Um, so, how do you approach that bad review, Mark? What's your what's your what's your reply to those bad reviews, and, and how do you deal with it? Well, I think the first thing to say is don't worry. You the the you hit the the the, the key point is that people those reviews are used by people when they're searching for somewhere to go, and just like you or I, if we look on TripAdvisor or um, uh, one of the restaurant guides, we take the net effect. We're not looking at, um, you know, each individual com- uh, good review or bad review. We're looking at, oh, there's a 4.9. They must be okay. And look, I might look at one or two good reviews and one or two bad reviews um, to get a feel for what people are feeling. What you do when you write responses to bad reviews is that you are not writing to the person who wrote the review. That person has judged you to the point where they have sat down in front of a computer and disrespected you to the world. They're never going to come back to you, never going to win them over. But what the person you are writing to is the person that reads that bad review. If they read a bad review and then they see a reasonable, considered response from the business owner, they are almost certain to disregard it. If they see a vitriolic uh, um, attempted takedown of uh, smackdown, then they interpret that as, well, he had a complaint, may have been genuine or not, but look at the attitude of the owner. So you're not trying to um, win against the person who's lodged that com- that uh, bad review. You're trying to send a message to someone who might read it that, hey, 
we're a reasonable place. Things do go wrong. We respect that. Um, and these are the circumstances maybe where this went wrong. We'll try and do better in the future. People read that and are much more likely to ignore the actual number and just take account of a, of a business that's trying to do the right thing. The other thing I think that's important is that you certainly want to... Um, what I found has worried me less as we've gotten more reviews and so the average review is, you know, in the fours out of fives, then I worry less about a single bad one because it's not going to have that same effect. So setting up systems that uh, um, ask your clients to take the time to uh, either do a Facebook or Google review um, those systems will generate numbers that make a single bad review far less overwhelming. If you've got four reviews on your Facebook page and one of them is a one and it's really nasty, it it hurts. It it always hurts no matter how many reviews you've got, but if there's only four, you, it really hurts. So if you've got 100 reviews and 96 of them are fours or fives and you get a one, geez, you, you, you can... You can probably let that go, Brendan. Yes, let it go, Mark. Let it go. And you, um, you've you been teaching me exactly that over the last few years and I'm getting better at it, Mark. So, yes, it's um, I'm listening with rapt attention, Mark, because you are my guru on this <laughs> and you've taught me well. Um, and I'm still trying to learn not to feel offended by those posts, but... I think we're all human, aren't we? And we can't not feel um, depressed about it and um, feel, you know, why am I doing it? Why are they um, um, saying we're bad people and, and we're not good as veterinarians? Um, because I had a bad experience and, and I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to become more philosophical about them too and that, yeah, some of these people literally did just have a bad experience that... Um, was going to happen no matter what. Um, and I think part of its personalities too, isn't it? It's like the sacking of your clients that, that don't get on with your practice because their personalities don't fit our practice ethos and our practice personality. So so you encourage that client to go elsewhere because not that um, they're bad people and not that we're bad people. It's just that um, the way we do things and, and, and the way we approach life and, and veterinary practice is totally different. So you're telling them, bugger off, Mark, <laughs> because um, because um, we're both unhappy. The clients are unhappy and we're unhappy. So, so why bother continuing to be unhappy when we know that Mr. Smith is coming in at the end of the week um, and it, it ruins your whole week and they're probably going to be grumpy because they've seen Brendan the vet who they don't like, so move them on. And I think it's the same with, with some of these um, some of these reviews, Mark, in that, that they are, some of them are genuinely that things just went wrong on the day. You know, they may have other things going wrong in their life and, and, and they got into the reception of the clinic and um, somebody said the wrong thing at the wrong tone and so it set things off and, and it was a whole horrible experience for them and no matter what you can do, you can't reverse that process and um, you can acknowledge it, like you said, um, and, and you do the post in that to to the other potential clients um, that, that hopefully they'll read and, and realise that, hey, we're not bad people and that um, perhaps they should try us as a vet clinic. Um, yeah, and we'll leave it at that. So yeah, it, it's um, 
but it hits us, doesn't it, Mark? Um, it still hits us when you when you get those bad reviews. But I think I think they are less worth less than we um, think they are um, overall. So we should learn to look on the bright side and look on, at the greater picture um, for it, and and don't and realise that yeah, hey, our good clients are still going to be our good clients, and they'll still come and visit us regardless of what what's put on the internet. And you know, um, we do see those um, constant posters um, that when you look deeper into some of those p- bad posts, um, they are people who are quite quite bitter and twisted, Mark, um, and they post on lots of sites um, when when you do deeper into these people, <laughs> some of these people, and, and you start to stalk them, you do realise that... that that maybe they um, they they spend their whole life lurking on the internet trying to make things uh, um, bad for other people, and they enjoy making life miserable for people. And I think, um, and, so, and that's the, the the nature of the internet is that there are trolls and people who, are looking at your reviews, realise that there's going to be some trolls, and so they factor that in. So each one of those individual reviews, in a mix of uh, a variety of reviews actually sort of like authenticates the the reviews that you've got because if you just had you know straight fives and you've got five out of five no matter what um uh, the people that look at your uh, facebook page or google review they're going to think you just got your mum to fill out the um review like several thousand times under different avatars so um just a few bad ones is not the end of the world brendan Yes, and um, we know what we do with trolls anyway. We treat trolls, don't we, because we're unusual pet vets. And, you know, probably our most famous post um, social media-wise was was one I posted when um, Pokemon first um, became um, popular and uh, the the mobile app was popular and um, probably two or three years ago, Mark, and and we did a post about um, we um, had the world's only Pokemon um, veterinary clinic. If your um, Pokemon became sick, um, you could come and visit us and and we would treat them because veterinarians are the ones registered to treat all species. Um, So... Um, and that one went um, um, semi-viral, I think, Mark, with with several thousand posts, and um, we had lots of links with with some media organisations with that as well. So it, it's trying to make fun posts and and engage the audience and, and potentially attract those new clients, um, which we've already already um, mentioned, Mark. Um, was there anything else you want to? No, we've stretched mentioned before. We've stretched yeah. this one out. No, there's a heap of things to talk about, and maybe we'll um, get some feedback from our uh, our listeners, and um, maybe they can touch on some some of the important aspects of social media, their online environment. If they've got any questions, we'd be happy to answer them, or at least you know pretend to answer them. Find find someone who does know the answer. And yeah, and I think we can steal all their tips, Mark. And I'm sure there's lots of our listeners who would be able to help us out with some some extra tips or things that we're doing wrong that we need to change um, with the social media because it's so dynamic, isn't it, Mark? With the change in face of um, what people are using and how they're searching um, on the internet. Um, so it's something we need to keep up to date with and we need to watch out for. But but. Yeah, not panic and, and get back out there and um, keep treating those those patients, Mark. 
and we'll do a part two I think at one stage at some stage so the music's on so we we're out of here thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi Thanks again and see you next time.